Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. I think the version of the sport that I love doesn't exist anymore. Same. Like with you in my relationship, I didn't have a hole that I needed to fill. I didn't have feelings that were so painful that I needed to hide them. I wasn't dealing with the grief of losing my mom in the same way. Like I wasn't I wasn't trying to use CrossFit to fix myself, to hide from my life anymore because I didn't want to hide. Why would I not want to feel the feelings that I feel every day? Hey everyone, Meredith here, and this is the Afternoon Snack Podcast. Today, we're walking down memory lane as former athletes, current athletes. We're athletes still, but a lot of people do ask us about our competition experience in CrossFit and what our take is on the sport and if we miss it. So today's episode is all about our story as ex-competitive CrossFit athletes, what the sport meant for us, what the sport did for us, and how we channel our competitive drive these days. Do we like live in Fernie now? Is this where we live? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe 50-50 still, I think. It is. Yeah. It's sort of leaning towards like 60-40. The Probably. summer will be more in Fernie because summer in Fernie is the best. I do really love it here. There's something about being like in Calgary, you can see the mountains. It's like Denver. You're like, oh, look, the mountains. And they're really beautiful, especially on clear days. But Fernie, you're, you're like you're in the mountains. Like we can look out any window in our place and like there's a mountain. There's a mountain. And I don't know about you, but there's something that I find really like grounding about mountains, just like being near them. It doesn't matter what is kind of chaos you have going on in your life. Like that mountain isn't going anywhere. That mountain's not going anywhere. I feel very at peace when I'm around them. I feel the same around the ocean, but I don't I have no desire to live at the beach. Too much sand. Yeah. Another reason I like Fernie, aside from the landscape, is the proximity of everything. It's a small town, so it's really easy to get around. But also like all of our friends here, it's like a situation where you just sort of like, hey, we're going to pop over. I feel like people drop in on each other a little bit more. It's easier to have social events versus being in a big city where you have to plan your social event like weeks in advance so people can orient their schedule because it takes 30 to 40 minutes to get anywhere in Calgary. Fernie, it's like, okay, yeah, I'll be there in three minutes. And literally, like you can be at someone's house in three minutes. Yeah. And it's like, do you want to go walk your dog? And it's like, okay, well, in Calgary, there's all these dog parks, but they're really busy. So my dog doesn't really do well at the dog park because she growls a lot when she's with other dogs and that scares the other owners. So why don't we go to another dog walking area, but it's on leash and my dog doesn't like on leash. And it's just like, it's all Fernie. It's just like, let your dog loose. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. It's right out back. Yeah. It's really great. This is so funny because when I was a kid, I distinctly remember playing this game like at my grandma's house. And then I basically like forgot about it. I forgot that it even existed until it came out at dinner after dinner the other night, we were over at our friend's house and I was like, oh my God, it was such a rush of nostalgia, but I still didn't really remember how to play it. The game's called Pass the Pigs and it's very simple. There's two little pigs on one side of each pig, there's a dot. And so basically you roll the pigs like you're rolling dice and depending on how they land, like in what orientation, you score points the less likely the pig is to land in a particular orientation, the more points you get. So if they like 
land on their side and either both dots are up or no dots are up, that's like one point. If one lands on its nose, that's five. If they both land on their nose, it's like 20. If they land on their nose and they're leaning to the side, it's just like it's a whole lesson in probability. But it's a highly likely situation that when you roll the pigs, you'll get one that lands on the side with one dot and you'll get one that lands on the side with no dots that erases all of your points for the turn. So you can roll as many times as you want. It's kind of like blackjack. The more you roll, the more likely you are to nullify all of your points in your turn. It's, it's a lot of like you go around in a circle and everybody rolls and usually someone rolls either right away roll, roll zero points or they get to like 15 and then they roll zero points and they're back at zero. It was like, wow, I didn't know that adults could have that much fun with such a simple and literally like talentless game. Yeah. When those got pulled out, I was like, oh, a game. I'm not a game person. I didn't play games growing up. I think I played Chinese checkers and dominoes with my grandma. And Did that you was actually like, play dominoes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was it. That's like what we used to play. I used to play Chinese checkers and checkers and then like solitaire. But that was, you know, obviously solo. <laughs> my kind. <laughs> I was game. always into individual sports. <laughs> <laughs> and so. Minesweeper. Yeah. <laughs> Sudoku. All of those things. really challenging individual sports. And I, so this game got pulled out. I was like, oh, geez. And then they're like, don't worry. The rules are very simple and there's no skill involved. Because the one thing I hate about games or game night is that person who brings the game has played the game. They know the rules. They know how everything goes down and you're learning. So you're basically spending the next hour to two hours losing <laughs> because you don't know what's going on. And then so they're like, oh, that was fun. And then they pack it up and leave. Yeah, most recent Settlers of Catan, which unfortunately the game is basically decided in the first five minutes. And then you just, you have to just play it out. And I'm like, I'm over it. I'm over it. Yeah. So anyways, to my surprise, this game was unbelievably fun. Unbelievably fun. I haven't laughed that hard in, I want to say years. Yeah. It may have been years. Like seeing adults get that riled up and feeling that superior over something that they actually had no control over. You know, when you're winning, you're like, hell yeah, I'm winning. But like, you're just getting lucky. That's yeah. all that is. And this isn't just like a regular group of adults. These are like, there were eight of us. And I would say the majority of us are very competitive. And highly am, educated. Yeah. Like I am competitive actively with about four of those people. Yeah. <laughs> Do they <laughs> in know that? In everything else. And like, <laughs> yeah. And I know they're also competitive with me. Uh -huh. No one's saying it. It was really very entertaining. And then the whole time you win the round when you make it to a hundred points, which is kind of challenging to do. And so the whole time Alex is going like, I wonder if anyone has ever rolled zero to a hundred in one roll. And then we're kind of just like, wow, that would be amazing. It would be so improbable. You know, basically no one has ever seen it happen and it probably wouldn't happen. And then the last game, I think already been won, but we were playing for second place. At that point, everyone was kind of tapering off. Like yeah. we were kind of like, we had peaked and we were kind of coming down from we the high. Like, hey, like we need to no one was really paying attention to other people's turns anymore. <laughs> you were like keeping your own score. We're at that point. <laughs> so Alex starts rolling and Alex has zero. She's like one of three people left in the game that just didn't have any luck yet to that point. I had, I had one game too. Yeah. Don't she had, forget. You won one. <laughs> one out of two. No, we played three games. I know. Oh yeah. One out of three. Mm -hmm. So she starts rolling and, you know, five points, one point, 10 points. And like you're playing for second place. It doesn't matter. So yes, the strategy at that point, I think was just to roll and like just roll until you 
get zero. Because I think like even if no one had won second place, I think we were packing it up after you. So she just keeps rolling, keeps scoring points, keeps rolling, keeps scoring points. And I think it was when you got to around 40 points that everybody started to check back in because <laughs> that's a pretty high roll. Then you got to 60 points and everyone was like, wow, this is the highest roll of the night. And then that's when I started recording the video. And then it was like 69 points. <laughs> and then it was 70 five and then it was 80 and then you went from 80 to 90 and then it just got chaotic it was so funny and then it was like 90 to 91 and like the one point kills you because like most rolls you can get like five. Oh, if you're lucky yeah, yeah. and then it was it was like 91 92 and then you rolled five and got to 97 and so then you know like okay if i roll a five again it's over so then you rolled and you got one so it was 98 and every time you roll one, because they're both on the same side, it's very dramatic because it's like, well, one could be a dot and then it would be over. Yeah. You'd be 97 to zero. So you got to 98 and then your final roll was a five. And so you ended up at a 103. So you went zero to 100 and it was amazing. I mean, I don't even know. I don't know how to explain it other than that it was just simply amazing to watch. And you were crying and everyone was laughing. It was really funny. Yeah. It was a good time. I remember I probably said in the course of like an hour, like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if you get to zero to 100? I would start at zero, be like, I'm going to go to 100. Like I was kind of joking about it all night. And I kept being like, man, if it would just be hysterical if you got to 100. I kept saying it. So yeah. it's funny that I was the one. And you were the only one saying it. Because <laughs> everyone else was like, no, nah, it'd be impossible. But the whole experience was like, you know, I think we do a good job and we have for many years of taking care of ourselves and exercising and doing a better job going outside. It was a good reminder that a big part of being well and actually taking care of yourself is connecting with other people in person. And that's part of the reason I really love Fernie is that it offers a lot more opportunity for us to do that. Even running into people walking around, you're more likely to do that here. That night specifically, but being here and, and hanging out with our friends checks a really big box for me, especially, and I'm sure you too, because we talk to so many people remotely so we have a, a pretty wide circle of connections and people who we talk to regularly. But as far as like in-person connection, I think our circle has been quite small, which is partially like preference too. But it's just been refreshing to connect with people in person. And it's a, a really good reminder that that's actually extremely important now more than ever. It's nice face-to-face. -face. Like even when we go see Lindsay or she comes over, I mean, we text with her. I email her like almost daily. But it's nice when you talk face-to-face, -face, there's tone, you laugh all of those things. And it's the same here. Like I have friends that I text or even like old friends that I'll connect with over text. And it's nice to say hi, but it's like, it's not the same. Yeah. It's just not the same. So anyways, I guess to transition to our topic, if you're listening to this and you don't know our background, well, we come from a mixed athletic background, but most recently we're competitive in the sport of CrossFit at a pretty high level. That's Meredith went to the games in 2018 and I went to the games in 2015, which is like, the top of the sport. Yeah. I mean, we weren't like vying for the title, <laughs> but we were in it in a yeah. couple workouts. It's like people who are like, I went to the Olympics and you're like, cool. Look, like, what did you get? And they're like, I don't remember. <laughs> but I did go. That was essentially our, it was very hard. It's like a, a not to trivialize accomplishment because it was, it was really challenging. You go and you survive. Yeah. And you start looking forward to the end. <laughs> in my case, <laughs> that's our background in CrossFit for as long as we have done it has been a sport that begins online. So it's a, an open, anyone can do CrossFit, anyone can compete in the open or that's how they kind of pitch it. And then it moves to in-person qualifying events 
and then to the games. And so when we did it, it was the CrossFit Open, which is global and worldwide. And that would qualify you to a specific regional competition. And then from regionals, you qualify for the games. So the regional would have like 40 people competing and then the top five would go to the games in most cases. And then there's eight regions. So 40 women, 40 men end up at the games. It's a very small field. So I competed in 2018 and then in 2019, 2020, they changed the format of the competition season and a larger percentage of the competition season moved online. So they kind of like inserted a qualifying stage. And then the in-person competition, so regionals used to be based on where you're located. So I used to compete in the mid-Atlantic region, Atlantic region when I lived in North Carolina. And then when I moved to Calgary, I competed in the Canada West region and then like the super West region. So Southern California area. So still based on where you're located. And then they shifted to format where you could kind of qualify for any semifinal sanctioned event that you wanted. And it wasn't based on where you were located. And now it's kind of shifted back. Sort of. To where you're located-ish. Ish. Okay. Yeah. So I guess the big question is, do you miss competing? You went through a weird transition and we've probably talked about this. You made it to the games. And then after the games, you kind of were in this like really weird phase of like wanting to like get back on the horse to train again, mm-hmm. but like also struggling with that mentally like and physically. Like you just couldn't will yourself to like want it again. Well, it was so weird because up until the games, up until I actually qualified for the games, I was doing CrossFit and training because I just I genuinely enjoyed it. Like it was something I really liked to do. It's like as soon as I qualified for the games and went, I like adopted this identity as a games athlete and then applied all this pressure to myself. Like, well, this is how people see you. Games athletes are supposed to qualify year after year. And if you only go once, then are you like a legitimate games athlete? Are you just someone who got really lucky at regionals? Well, like no one actually thinks that. And if they do, like that's kind of a shitty thing to think. I mean, I think about that for myself, but that's a different topic. (laughs) Yeah. So that was kind of the weird phase for me was sort of wanting to back off and be not competitive or take a break at a minimum, but feeling this immense amount of pressure that I was putting on myself to maintain this sort of front stage version of myself, the games athlete, because I thought that it was important when really it wasn't that important. Like as soon as you got to the games, you figured out you were in, which was a weird thing because one of the competitors in our region ended up getting popped for PEDs. So Meredith got in because she was sixth. As soon as you figured out you might get in, I remember your approach to the sport changed drastically. It was as if you were now carrying the weight of the world on your back. Which is so silly because I wasn't. I mean, I knew I had a lot of people supporting me, but I don't think that anyone was like had expectations of how well I would do or even cared beyond like, hey, this is amazing. This is a great opportunity and I'm glad that you have it. It was a pretty weird time. And I was still pretty motivated to train because I loved it. And like watching Meredith at the games, I was like, oh, I would love to go back. So then COVID hit the following year, right? Yeah. That kind of, we went team for one season, didn't we? Yeah, 2019, because that was the the year we almost qualified accidentally. Yeah, so we basically took a year off from the Open. We basically took a year off and then decided to go team because you didn't need to do the Open. Oh, that was when you could qualify to the games from the Open. Or you could qualify at a sanctioned event. Yeah, it was a whole weird thing. They changed the rules. And I was basically like, yeah, no, I don't want to play this game. Classic CrossFit, just changing the rules on a whim. So we ended up going team. And that was not fun for me. I don't like team sports and I 
didn't like team CrossFit. It was really stressful. There's just a lot of like relying on other people. And it's difficult when we didn't know the people that it was us two. And I work well with you. We were a good team, but then you're with two guys and I didn't know the guys very well. And it was just very difficult to kind of like sync up with them. And like, they were very different athletes from a mindset standpoint, like younger. And it was difficult. Like we ended up getting close on both events that we, we did, which were Granite Games and Wadapalooza. Yep. But I remember the whole time I was like, this isn't fun. I'm not enjoying myself. I was like kind of secretly hoping that we wouldn't qualify. Yeah. Like like, I I didn't want to go to the games on this team. I also didn't want to do any more events even in that weekend, which is silly. Like, of course, when I'm in the event, I try my hardest, but like, I remember counting down the events, just being like, I really want this to be over. This isn't fun. And then I, we kind of shifted back and I was like, I never do CrossFit to try to make it to the games. I think in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, that would be great to go back. But I really just love training. And then when COVID hit, I basically just trained my ass off in our basement gym. Yeah. Like I was so on, I was hitting numbers I've never hit before. Mm -hmm. Like I felt so fit. I felt more powerful than ever. I was crushing workouts, more motivated than ever. And because of COVID, didn't end up competing by in 2020 uh, in 2020. So by the time 2021 rolled around business for us was booming. We were growing pretty quickly. It was just getting so demanding. I was like, to be honest, getting kind of tired of CrossFit partially because you had basically, I was like, yeah, I'm done here. 2020 was the end. Well, not the end. I'm still training. Like it's not like I stopped training, but as far as like, should I compete? It just got so logistically difficult in 2020. And then looking forward to 2021, there wasn't much that was going to change aside from bringing back a few in-person competitions. And I was like, you know what? I don't like it enough. I don't want to do that. That's not worth it for me. Yeah. And I was kind of getting drawn into that. Plus, I think for me, we were building a life. Since you were kind of out of CrossFit, you were like, we should go on these trips. Like we would go to North Carolina to visit your family and you were there to enjoy being with your family. And I was worrying about my training and we would clash a little bit on our priorities. And that was difficult. And then with the business growing, I could tell that my desire to put so much into CrossFit was impacting my ability to be as present as I needed to be for my clients. And that really became apparent at quarter finals, which is again, an online competition that you're kind of like by yourself, you have to create your own like floor map based on descriptions that they provide. Like, you know, the rope has to be this far away from the GHD and there's all these rules. And I remember going into that so busy with work and you were busy with work that Mm -hmm. we didn't even set up the floor right. No. So I'm like, had I qualified, I would have gotten dinged on being on the wrong side of the line. And it was, I was so just, I realized I could, I I couldn't do both anymore. And then I kind of got a little bit injured with my back and there was a heavy front squat, which I'm just notoriously not very strong. And so that just put me, I didn't qualify. Like I was close. And then I was kind of upset about it, but it was almost like, eh, it was for the best. And that was when I knew, like, I think it's time to start letting that go. And it wasn't easy for me. Like the first semifinals, which like, I didn't even make it. So I can't really say like, oh, do I wish I was there? Like, it wasn't even my decision not to be there. I genuinely just like did not qualify. I remember struggling watching and being like, oh, I wish I was there. But then the following year, I was like, I made decision not to compete in quarterfinals or the open. And for me, I didn't miss it as much. I didn't wish I was there as much. I mean, that's the thing. In 2021, you were still doing it. And I was, tra- I had not signed up for any phase of that competition. 
I didn't miss it. And I sure didn't watch you do quarterfinals and feel like I was missing out on anything. And I think part of that too is you asked if I missed competing, if I wanted to. I think the version of the sport that I love doesn't exist anymore. Same. And so like you have to remember, we started doing CrossFit before I didn't even have an Instagram account. CrossFit was not small, but it was smaller. It wasn't as big online. It wasn't, you know, about clout. I genuinely just, I started doing it because I was like, Hey, this looks like a cool workout. That was 2012. And then all the way to 2018, the competition phase, it was all grassroots. It was all out of affiliates. And that's where CrossFit games athletes came from originally was they would come from affiliates, people doing just affiliate workouts and then maybe a little bit of extra. And even when you're doing individualized programming, you're still very much part of an affiliate gym community. And so there was a ton of support during the open, during regionals. You, the whole gym would pick up and relocate to Atlanta or to Portland or you know wherever your region was. So you'd show up there for this competition, which felt like a big competition, and your whole like your gym family was there. You don't see that as much. Like athletes are training, you know, at their home gyms. They're training alone in affiliate gyms when no one's around. It doesn't mean that they don't necessarily have gym support. But you don't see as much community ownership over the athletes. There's not quite as much pride. I always loved, you know, the years that I was at regionals when I I would look out into the crowd and I would see faces that I knew. I would see people who had traveled there to see me. Even in 2018, like I didn't have a big community on the West Coast because I had just moved here. A massive cohort of people went from Calgary, Alberta, people who just met me that year and just and knew you went to San Diego to watch us compete in Jordan. And I had friends fly out from North Carolina to watch us compete. It felt very communal. And in my opinion, then was still very much an amateur sport. And so I think now with the season changes and the way that people are training and doing the sport now, the community has been replaced by these sort of super pack teams. You know, instead of a gym community, you have like the... Invictus group, or you have the training think tank kind of super team, you know, you have all of these pockets of really good athletes. And I think you have to have that to be competitive now, but it doesn't have the same feeling to me. Here's the best way to describe it. Ask any of the athletes right now who do CrossFit and ask them when the last time they did a class workout was. Some of them, honestly, never. I've never done a class workout. Probably not. That's exactly it. That's where the community missed. Back in the day, all of the games athletes who were there started doing classes. They started CrossFit in class. And that's where the community grows. Now athletes come in, they don't do classes. They just start programming. They're like ex-athletes or they're teenagers and the teenagers have just, they've been doing their own programming since they were eight. They don't do classes. There's no community in terms of like grassroots. Like you're not connecting with members who aren't also elite. Like, yeah, there's support. It's like, oh, Mal O'Brien does the open workouts in Vermont. Like I support Mal O'Brien. Like, yeah, but it's like, it's not the same. It's like, you don't train with Mal O'Brien. You don't know her. You don't go for coffee after. Yeah. That's like what I used to do when I trained at an affiliate, like I coached at affiliate, people knew who I was. And then when I shifted to my own personal programming, it was still like in the gym community. It's different now. And then when you would go to regionals or go to competitions, it was fun to go and maybe more fun for me because I did it because it was fun and not, I didn't have as lo- a lot of it pressure on myself to perform. But I remember one of some of the most exciting things about going to competition was seeing my friends mm-hmm. like that lived in 
Manitoba or BC. And we would go for like dinners and stuff. Yeah. I mean, you used to see the same faces at regionals every year. It was awesome. It's like a reunion. Yeah. Kind of. And now I think, I mean, I don't know. I haven't been to regionals, but it just seems like there's a lot of people with their teams, like their coaches and their support staff and a lot of camera. It just doesn't seem like it's like what it used to be. There's definitely a separation of CrossFit, the affiliate GPP programming and CrossFit, the sport. And of course there's going to be, when you start to financially incentivize winning and being good at the sport and even on Instagram with sponsorships and endorsements and that kind of thing. Like, yeah, people are going to start training in a way that optimizes performance, which looks really different than training for GPP and like general physical preparedness. But it creates this really awkward, it's sort of, it's getting a little awkward at the community level because CrossFit really, they make a lot of money from the open because they, for many years, the affiliate members, people in gym communities, they sign up to feel like they can do it and compete alongside games athletes. And there's that sort of belief. But now it's, I feel like the community is probably starting to see that gap widening and maybe acknowledging that CrossFit, the sport is not the same as the CrossFit that they do in their gym every day, but CrossFit desperately needs them to believe that it is so they can generate income from people spending $20 to sign up for the open every year. And it puts a lot of pressure on affiliate owners. And then this year with like quarterfinals, you're going to let 10% of the people compete. And then you're going to work out so hard that like a lot of people who qualified to compete in quarterfinals can't even participate anymore. They paid $50 to do it and they actually can't do it. It would be like signing up for a marathon, showing up and then the race organizers being like, oh, by the way, if you can't run a sub four hours, you actually can't run in this race. Surprise. I wonder how it's going to be in the coming years from a community standpoint. That's all. I think going back to the way that the sport has changed with CrossFit and its development, the sport has become more demanding. In order to stay elite, like for someone like me or you who went to the games in 2015, 2018, and a lot of the older generation, so like people in their 30s, let's say, who started CrossFit in their 20s, to hang on to that elite level, it's so much work. It's so much more work than before it because there's so many more people doing it. It's so much more competitive for all the reasons that you said. Like people are, they're not going to high school to be competitive at CrossFit. So you're competing against this younger generation who's been doing it for almost as long as you are, but like in a way more intense way. And then you also have the other people who are part of that older generation who just value the sport and their goals more than maybe you do, or can get away with it because they look a certain way on Instagram or whatever. And they're able to not work and put more into the sport. Like just generally to stay up there, you need to basically be doing this near full time. It takes up a lot of mental capacity and all that. And that's just because the sport has changed. Yeah. It's not necessarily being like intermediate and going to elite, although that's true. It's an elite trying to stay elite. The yep. sport has become more demanding, but that's no different really than for me, ski racing, going from being like 10 years old to 20 or 25 years old. It's mm -hmm. the same progression. Like you start out where it's like, Ooh, it's really fun. I'm going to go see my friends. <laughs> I'm going to dry land train and hang out and we're going to have a sleepover and we're going to stay in the same hotel and we're going to go to Boston pizza and all these things, which is like, and then we'll race. And it'll be really fun. And then we're friends at the bottom again. That's how it was when I was like 10 or 15. And then when I got to be 18, it was like, okay, you can still be friends with these people. But like now it's different. Now you're like, you're on a specific team and you're wearing a specific jacket. And then you get past that level to like the national team. And it's like, okay, this is now your job. Yeah. Like you're getting paid to do this. And that's no different than CrossFit right now. And I think that changes everything in terms of, for most people, how the sport is. It's not really 
I think there can still be an aspect of fun, but it's not like it used to be because there's so much pressure. It's almost like, and it is literally your job. Yeah. It's just demanding is the right word. It demands every ounce of attention that you can give it every single day. If you're not giving attention to training, you're giving attention to eating, or you're giving attention to recovery or sleeping or massage or sauna or red light or whatever it is that you think is going to give you an edge. That's where your attention has to be, to be not even at the top, not even like top three. I'm talking like top 50. That's the amount of effort that it takes. No one just like, I mean, I won't say no Top one. 50 in the world. Yeah. yeah. There are people, like there are a handful of exceptions that I can think of. People who just have extraordinary talent and have been doing it a long time. Carolyn Prevo is one of those people and she has an exceptional amount of balance. But I wonder, and I think she knows that there's an end to her being able to compete coming. Yeah. I think that there's the factor that she has something else. Mm-hmm. She has a career. She's a teacher. She has hockey. She has a life. outside of CrossFit. So maybe she doesn't feel the pressure to perform, which maybe allows her to perform better. Or if she does feel it, she feels it intermittently. And then she has these other responsibilities where like, okay, if I continue to feel this pressure, it's going to be so distracting for me that I'm not going to be able to function in my job. I'm not going to be able to teach my kids. I'm not going to be happy if all I can feel is this pressure. So it's like, feel the pressure. It's okay to feel pressure sometimes, but then leave it over there and go back and live your life. I think that's what that balance allows for. Yeah, it's tough because I think a lot of people not only feel the need, but also actually need to go all in to get there. Mm -hmm. But it's also like that also probably in some respects takes away from your ability to get there from a mental standpoint. I think so. So I guess it would be different for everybody. Mm -hmm. But where's the balance? And I think that also depends on your background. I don't know anything about Mal O'Brien. Let's just say she's all in, like 100% always in CrossFit. If you say like, hey, Mal, let's try to like get you some balance. She would be really, she would struggle with that. Where you take some of these athletes who came up from grassroots, like Prevo, who's been focused on having a career and like building her life, like that to her is normal. She's used to that. She knows what that's like. It's not hard for her. What would be hard for her is to say, you need to be all in on CrossFit. She might start struggling at that point. It might not be good for her. So I think it really depends on the athlete. But for us specifically, I am that athlete who needs balance. In my athletic history, as soon as a sport has become too intensive, taking over other aspects of my life, I'm done. I no longer enjoy it. This happened with skiing and this happened with CrossFit. Yeah. And that's what I have the same experience with CrossFit. And that's the year and a half that I took off to do it full time. I won't even call it professionally because I was poor. My world got way too small and I felt it. I started feeling like I wasn't tapping into my intellect, my ability to learn. I wasn't growing in ways that are really important to me. And it was always a temporary situation for me because I also knew that in order for me to be as good as I could be to potentially qualify for the games, like it is something that required a somewhat full-time effort from me. And then like the second part of the, so I missed the, the grassroots. I missed what it was. I miss it being more of an amateur thing. And then the, you know, the second part for me was, I do think that like, given the time in my life when I got into CrossFit, a lot of the competitive drive that I had to get better, to get better, to compete at regionals. Okay, now I want to compete and come top 10. Now I want to compete and try to go to the games because I think I can do that. A lot of that for me, if I'm being totally honest, was to fill a void of unhappiness in my life. Because that was when I was still in North Carolina. I was still in a marriage that I didn't want to be in. And I was running away from that. CrossFit offered me a really unique outlet because it was very time 
intensive. It was demanding. I could physically exhaust myself to the point where I couldn't feel any emotions. That was something that I did almost every single day. So like not only... (laughs) Was I able to run away from a relationship I didn't want to be in, exhaust myself so I didn't feel the feelings that I didn't want to feel? Both of those things also turned me into a really great athlete. And I had obviously a knack for the sport. This is one of those things where it's like, don't always think that you understand the whole picture just because of the way it looks on paper. And so for me, I'm able to recognize this now. And it doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy doing CrossFit. I did. It was a a unique outlet for that reason because there was also a level of enjoyment But in and around like 2018, after that season was over, I think a large part of me feeling like, you know, the feeling of not being able to get my feet back under me with training, like I didn't have that competitive drive. It seemed to be sort of gone, at least to the the magnitude and the, the way that I was used to feeling. And I think part of that is because I was starting to feel happy in my life, like with you in my relationship. I didn't have a hole that I needed to fill. I didn't have feelings that were so painful that I needed to hide them. I wasn't dealing with the grief of losing my mom in the same way. Like I wasn't, I wasn't trying to use CrossFit to fix myself, to hide from my life anymore because I didn't want to hide. Why would I not want to feel the feelings that I feel every day? Because they're great. And so for me, it's like, how do I now sort of reorient, you know, my reasons for doing what I do competitively in any arena? Like I used to just walk around with this massive chip on my shoulder which is a great thing to have as a competitor. Like I think when you can channel rage and anger, which is something that I used to be really good at doing, that really confers a big advantage, but I don't have that anymore. I'm still a competitor. How do I compete? Where do I compete from? What place within me do I launch off from as an athlete? So that's been a process. I don't have it figured out yet. That's cool to recognize. I don't think that means that I'm not a competitor and I'm not an athlete. But yeah, I bet I'm not the only one who has that story either. I bet I'm not the only athlete. I'm the only person out there who has some demons that sort of push them along. And then I bet I'm not the only one who sorted through that and are feeling like that fire is gone a little bit. Interestingly, when I first started CrossFit, I used to do the... This was, I was taking a year off because I was grieving, like literally from the death of my sister. I, I finished university, started CrossFit in the last month of university up in Alaska, went back to Calgary to like, I ended up taking a year off and was going to try to get into law school, but I needed the year to like legit, like be okay again. I had developed like a lot of anxiety, social anxiety, and just like anger, like really bad. And so I spent the year off. And so I used to go to the 9 a.m. class which in my opinion will always be the best class because you're with all the moms who like (laughs) drop their kids off at school and then they go and they just like, they go to their classes and then they go for coffee after. I mean, there are people who I met in CrossFit at that time in my life that still are some of my best friends. People that I call up when I'm like in the worst of the worst situation and I can be like, I need your help. And like CrossFit saved me, not to be dramatic, but it did. It's like meeting those people. I think CrossFit, anything that's like very physical and you're in that like emotional state in a CrossFit workout is difficult. You create stronger connections with people in that. And like I did that. And so I guess you could say I did CrossFit and fell in love with CrossFit because of, as we mentioned, the community. And then when I realized I could compete in it, I was like, ooh, this is like the cherry on top of the cake. Like I have a cake. I'm building these amazing relationships and learning so much about myself. But as soon as that community went away, like kind of with COVID, I think especially, and then that after COVID realizing it wasn't really about the community, I just lost interest. 
And then there's like the striving and the academic part of my life that I'll come back to. But what I was going to say is a lot of those moms, and I hate the word like moms, like I'm lumping everyone together, but they were moms. People, yeah. People who were kind of in a different stage in their life to me. I remember hearing so many stories and knowing of so many stories of my friends who started CrossFit and then ended up kind of changing their life. And I'm not saying this isn't a good way, but for them, I think it was the right decision, like getting divorces. And I think part of it is CrossFit is really empowering. It's like you go in and you realize you as an individual are very capable and very strong and you can build other relationships outside of this life that you thought was what you once wanted. I I think it just, it changes you. And so competition for you, and I would agree with this, is kind of an extension of the community and always was an extension of the community. Yeah. And when it became just about competition and it's the same thing with skiing, as soon as I made it to like the national team and it was so much just about the job, doing it, getting it done, getting results. I was like, eh, I'm over it. I just, I lost the part that I really liked that impacted the way that I could be in the sport. I just didn't perform well to go back to skiing. As soon as I quit the national team and went to ski in university and I had like the academic side and I had the community and the parties and the other athletes and the team aspect and I was meeting new people, I started skiing so much better. In fact, like my fist points went went way down, which is an indication that you're performing better in relation to everybody else in the world. If for me, that's just how it is. And I think that's why I was saying to you the other day, like if I had just stuck with a sport, I think because I'm as athletic as I am and I'm pretty gritty, I think I could have made it closer to the top. Like I could have maybe been a pro athlete. I'm not tooting my own horn here. I guess I am, but it's, it's what I think I could have done. I could have been a pro athlete if I had selected the right sport and stuck to it. But mindset wise, like, I don't think I could have done it. That's not the life I want. I think I thrive and feel the most accomplished in academic and like career settings. Sports are my fun and I compete at them, but competition's fun. Like running marathons, that's, that's my fun. Where I really like want to grind and work and achieve and strive is in my career, is in academics. It doesn't come easy to me, that stuff. Like I have to work really hard at it. And anytime I've like, you know, achieved good grades or built a business or became a lawyer, it's like, that was hard. And I loved it, but it it wasn't fun. You know, to echo that, I'm pretty sure if I didn't have to do sports because I loved sports so much, I would probably be an astronaut. <laughs> I would be the the woman astronaut going to space with like 148 tampons. Yeah. Or that could that, be me. Or you would be a musician. That's true. I do think that I could have gone that route yeah. and I didn't. Or an artist or something. Yeah. Struggles of multi-talented Just, people over here. It's hard to be so talented. <laughs> no, but I, I know what you mean. And that's always kind of been like for me, I mean, number one, I was never as good at swimming as you were at skiing, but it, it was a sport that I was like, decent at is never as important to me as academics. I was never going to be a division one swimmer that was not in the cards. I wasn't going to go to a D3 like school so I could swim. So for me, it was like, hey, my swimming career is over as soon as I select to go to a D1 university for my education. And that was okay with me. And I love that. And I think that something we both have in common is that shared drive. And I think it's, it's the same drive that drives you to be successful in all areas, but it's particularly rewarding in an academic space and in a professional and career space because it is so challenging. And whether you're working at, you know, a law firm, you could easily be working at a law firm. I could easily still be working in research and development. That drive would still 
be there. And it would still be coming out in the same way that it is now. I've lived that life also. I've been that professional person. I've pushed in that way. And it is, to me, vastly more rewarding than athletic success. And it always will be. And so I think pivoting, like the fact that we had tactic up and running in 2018, it was something that I could focus on immediately. We were focusing on it too, but it was like, hey, when you're done with athletics, there's this thing that you can almost just like pivot and put all of your energy into that and growing it and making it as successful and exactly what you want. And that's equally, if not more fulfilling than, yeah, grinding away in a gym for four hours a day. A lot of it depends on who you are as a person and your upbringing, because had I been brought up by different parents, like my parents always, always, always drilled the importance of academics into me. It was like, you get good grades, then you can go skiing kind of thing. And so I think I grew up just like, I can ski, I can do all that. But even when I was in my twenties, it's like, yeah, you can go to the gym, but like get your shit done for school first. Like you better have a good understanding of like that assignment before you go to the gym so that you don't end up in class tomorrow completely like lost. I'm happy about that because it's made me who I am today. But there are a number of athletes that I competed with. They're a different breed. It was tunnel vision. And probably their parents were encouraging that too. Yeah. And maybe they didn't put, and there's nothing wrong with this. They didn't put as much focus on academics or having balance, or maybe they were just in one sport. I think that's what makes like a great athlete. I mean, you, we were watching this tennis show or the, these golf shows, like these athletes, they grew up playing one sport. Their dad was their coach and it was, you know, late nights on the tennis court and all that stuff. And I just wasn't that. Well, I think too, that, like wasn't, you see, that wasn't my life. You see that work for, I mean, you see Serena Williams, everybody knows her story. You see, like we're watching that top spin thing on Netflix and we watched one with Brooks Kefka. same story, right? And you know, his dad's very involved in his coaching and you see the success stories. If you want to call Brooks Kafka a success story, I guess he's okay. But how many people had that same story and you don't know their names? And where are those people? I think it's the right decision. If I had kids, I would do the same thing. Yeah. I don't think there's right or wrong. It's just, that's not how I was brought up and that's not who I am today. But I have a lot of friends still who I remember saying to my mom when I quit to go to university, I'm not like them. I remember saying to my mom, they have tunnel vision. There's nothing else in their life that's distracting them from their goal to go to the Olympics. And they made it to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of them are retired now. You know, it's still their life. Like they're going to be a part of the ski racing community for the rest of their life kind of thing. And that just wasn't who I was. But I will say I am still a competitor at heart. Well, I think we both are, we find ways to compete in literally everything. everything. (laughs) Even past the pigs. Yeah. And it's, people are like, oh, how do you deal with, you know, competition in your relationship? And I think we've touched on this before. We don't see it in our relationship as much as we used to, not in an athletic way. And part of that is I think we're not doing the same types of training and competing, but definitely other sports, like you're into running I'm doing some swimming. Hopefully we'll get back into running. I I joked the other day, like my new sport is the internet, you know, maximizing our reach and our impact. Then you made the joke, like our most recent competition was our fundraising back in the fall, which literally it became an obsession, fundraising for the Looking Out Foundation. And like, it's a drop in the bucket as far as, you know, but it's not nothing. It was like (laughs) $40,000. It's like when you, you see that you're making progress in something, you're like, ooh, what can I turn this into? How can I make this as big as I possibly can make it right now? I don't know. I think it's just drive. Like being a competitor is just being very specifically driven in a specific way. And I think if you can harness that, it's a good thing. I think there are probably plenty of people who don't have the right outlet for it. And maybe 
it's not a good thing for them, but I think it's a good thing for us. Yeah. I'm happy with where I'm at and my history and athletics and academics and the balance that I've achieved in all those years and what I've learned. And do I miss sports when I like, I watch skiing on TV, when I watch CrossFit, when I watch golf, like all the things I used to do at a fairly elite level, like I 100% miss that. I see kids skiing, like kids, like eight-year-olds skiing in courses out in Fernie when we're out for our Sunday ski. And I'm like, dang, do you think they would let me do their course? I want to like race again, but I don't want to race like as a 33-year-old. I mean, I might join a women's league next year. (laughs) I miss those times as a kid because they were so fun. But I think a lot of people miss those times. And instead of like missing them and wishing you could still have that feeling, it's more like be grateful that you had that life because those experiences and that joy made you who you are today. Try to think of it like that so that I don't get too bummed out that I'm 33 and not eight anymore. (laughs) (laughs) There's some good memories for sure, but it always helps to remember that you are going to make equally good memories as an adult, Mm -hmm. even if you're not in a skin suit sliding down a mountain. <laughs> It'll do. I mean, unless you want to put a skin suit I on. I might. Then, I might want to. All right. We can arrange this. I, I do wonder like what master's athletic associations are there out there? Lots of them. Yeah. I'm like, I could join a golf club and play club champs again. Yeah. I could see myself doing that. 100%. I guess closing thoughts are we do and don't miss competing in CrossFit. I wouldn't want to be competing right now in this no. sport. No, thank you. Hard pass. No. A lot of people ask and the answer will continue to be not for me and not because of what else I want to focus on. It's like that sport is not fair and messed up and silly and it's rough. It's a rough go for those athletes. Yeah. But if you're in it, good on you because that shit's hard. If you are in it and you love it, I still respect that. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's not. I think some people think they'll be like, oh, I feel like, you know, you're judging me for being in the sport. And I'm like, no, my experience and my desire to be in that sport has nothing to do with my respect for you doing what you want to do. Yeah. No, it's not like that. People who choose to do CrossFit are silly. That's not the takeaway. I here. mean, it was still silly back then when we did it. It was. Like, there's still, there's still, <laughs> people are still making fun of CrossFitters and they will <laughs> make fun of them in the same way that they made fun of like professional rollerbladers. Yeah. Like, it's fine. You just have to own that it is a little bit I mean, running is pretty silly too. We just run. I was thinking when we were in LA, it's just like thousands of people gather together to run the same distance on the same course. But no one's really racing each other. No. We're just all out here doing it together, running. It's weird. It is weird. It is. But most sports are kind of weird when you dumb them down to that degree. I love that Netflix special home game. And it's about all these weird, like local homegrown sports. They're so weird. Like one of them is rolling the like the cheese wheel down the hill in the UK. And you're like, you literally fling yourself down the hill to try to catch it. And it's like a whole. And everyone gets injured and there's a lot of blood. Yeah. But just like that, I think sport is just silly like that. But anyways, our takeaway is that's our take. That's our take. That's our experience. And if you want to be competitive at whatever you want, if you want to focus 100% on sports, do it. Everyone is different. Dueling piano, go for it. If you want to not go to school to focus on sports, I know a ton of people who had tons of success doing that. I just want to say, like, we're not saying one way is better than the other here. I think we're both happy with the decisions that we made. And it's kind of fun to look back and be like, do I regret anything? No. And it's kind of cool to be able to say that. Yeah. Wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. So anyways, thanks for listening to us ramble on about ourselves for an hour. means a lot that you spent your time doing that. So there's probably no listeners left by now. I don't know. Maybe if you made it this far, send us. No, 
No, no, no, no, no. <laughs> no? No. Okay. I'm sorry. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. See you on the next one.